When you look back over your life, was there ever a time when you were more in love with Jesus than you are right now? If so, what changed? Who pulled away from whom? The Bible tells us that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. But what happens is we forget our first love. We pull away. God's Word admonishes us time and again not to forget Him. Not to pull away from Him. But to cleave to Him instead. But sometimes we get caught up in doing those things that we do in life and we slowly drift away. And it's a slippery slope. Welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. It is our hope that this message will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. This morning I want to talk to you about a a, a slippery slope. When you hear the word idolatry, what do you think about? idols. Most of us think of golden calves, wooden statues, gold, silver statues. We think of those high places mentioned in the Old Testament that in the land of Canaan and there are other places. We think of those pagan gods with names like Diana and Dagon and Molech. All those things that are frequently mentioned in the Old Testament Scriptures. The the definition, according to the dictionary, there's a couple of definitions of idolatry. Dictionary says it's the worship of a physical object as a god. That's what most of us would define it as. Another definition, an immoderate attachment or devotion to something. Another definition, it's an excessive or blind adoration, reverence, or devotion. Pastor and author Tim Keller defines it this way when speaking of idols. He says this, An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. However you define idolatry, it's a slippery slope. We see in the Ten Commandments what God thinks about it. The first two of the Ten Commandments deal with it. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, God says. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The first time we're given a hint of idolatry in the Bible is in Genesis 31. We talked about it a little bit in Sunday school this morning, kind of unknowingly. You remember Jacob had gone to his uncle Laban's place to get himself a wife. And he loved Rachel. They had two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And he worked his period of time that he was supposed to work to gain Rachel's hand in marriage. And Laban pulled a trick on him and sent Leah into him. But he loved Rachel so much, he, he worked another seven years to gain Rachel's hand. Ended up being there about 20 or 21 years, I believe, if you do the math. And finally, he had enough. 
So he gets his wives and his kids and all his belongings and he loads them up and he heads off back home. But the first instance we hear about some idolatry is in that Genesis 31. He put his children and his wives on camels, drove them all ahead of him, and everything he had accumulated and patted around. And then in verse 19 of chapter 31 of Genesis, when Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and as they're about to leave, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Rachel stole her father's household gods. Right there early on in the history of this family that would become the Jewish nation, Rachel took her father's household gods and brought them with her. This favorite wife, this wife that Jacob loved, this matriarch of the children of Israel, one of the matriarchs. We see it there early on. The first time we see idolatry as a nation, as a whole nation, was in Exodus 32 at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses has been called up to the top of the mountain to speak with God and get the Ten Commandments. The children of Israel waited 40 days and 40 nights and became impatient. They said, we need a God to worship. So they had Aaron fashion a golden calf and they worshiped that golden calf. They chose to do it. As the Old Testament moved on with the story of Israel, idolatry picked up in frequency and severity. And the book of Judges is filled with their idolatry. And it says in two different verses in that, in that book, in Judges in chapter 17 and chapter 21, these same words. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Hardship after hardship that Israel faced was due to their idol worship, their idolatry. Most of the prophets warned of idolatry. In fact, this book of Jeremiah that we're going to study from this morning, there are 52 chapters. Guess how many chapters in Jeremiah are dedicated to idolatry out of the 52 that are there? 45 of them deal with idolatry. Almost the entire book. And so just like Jeremiah, many of the prophets preached against it. Most of them talked till they were blue in the face because the people wouldn't listen. It's a slippery slope, you see. And we tend to read the Old Testament and we see the nation of Israel and we look down our nose and point fingers. Look at those crazy folks. They ought to know better. We shouldn't be too quick to point fingers. There's some thinking that maybe we don't have to deal with that today. It's just as real today as it was then. It's just as real today in 21st century America as it was then. It's not an Old Testament problem. The same, same things that went on 2,000 years before Christ are still going on 2,000 years after Christ came on the scene. We look around America on any given Sunday, you can turn on the TV and find a false teacher. You can look around America on any given Sunday and find stadiums full, the river full of boats, yet the parking lots are empty in churches. Pews are mostly empty in most churches. We're headed in the wrong direction, people. So this morning we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 2. And see what God spoke through that prophet to those people back then. He gave them warnings and advice. And it's the same warnings and advice that he gives to us today. As we talk about the slippery slope of idolatry. Now let's read together chapter 2 starting in verse 1. We'll read down to verse 13. 
Jeremiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all you clans of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they stayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. Therefore I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. And I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coast of Kittim. And look, send a cater and observe closely. See if there's ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts this morning through your word, Lord. Give us understanding through the power of your Holy Spirit as we look into these things. It's in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. We talk about the slippery slope of idolatry. I see three things in this passage that Jeremiah spoke to these people back then and I think apply to our lives today. The first thing I want you to remember or to think about, we need to remember our first love. We need to remember our first love. Do you remember your first love? I think I've told you before. Mine was in second grade. The cutest little girl in our class planted a wet kiss right here on this cheek <laughs> under that big oak tree down there in the playground over here at the school. And I know my face was red because I felt like I was on fire. But I was instantly smitten. And so we smiled and waved at each other across the classroom and passed notes for a few days. But as second grade romances go, it was over with in about a week. But I'll never forget it. You remember when you were first married and how you were so in love and everything was just hunky-dory? You wanted to spend every waking hour with each other? But things don't usually stay that way, do they? You still love each other, but things don't stay quite the way they did when you're first newly married. A couple of people made these statements about wedded bliss and marriage. Prince Philip said this, said, when a man opens a, a car door for his wife, it's either a new car or a new wife. <laughs> Frank Sinatra, y'all know Frank Sinatra. He said this about marriage. He said, a man doesn't know happiness until he's married, but by then it's too late. 
I remember when we got married, I, uh, we got married in Meridian, and uh, Renee had a house down there, and so we had the, were in my truck, had just married, written all over the windshield. My buddies had fixed the truck up, and I drove her by her house to pick up her bag. We were going on the honeymoon, and her, she had an older gentleman that lived across the street from her that was a neighbor, and, and I, when I would go by to visit, I'd see him out in the yard from time to time, and we'd talk to him. And We got out of the truck, and uh, he saw my truck all painted up, and he hollered, Boy, you've messed up now. <laughs> so things change. I've got an older friend that y'all know if I called her name, and they, she uh, had been married for many years to her husband, and... Uh, he called her one day looking for something and she was trying to explain to him where to find it in the house. She went on and on. It's right there on the desk. It's right there on the desk, Red. And she finally slammed the phone down. She said, just forget it. She said, he couldn't find the toes on his own foot. She said, when he's dead and gone, I don't want another one. I tell you. Things change. Through the prophet, God brings to their minds how they were once devoted to him, like a, a married couple. He says there in verses 2 and 3, he said, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me, and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them. God brings that illustration of a newlywed couple. He said, I remember how you were once that starry-eyed bride and you followed me everywhere I went. So in love with me. But something changed. Let me ask you a question this morning. When you look back over your life, was there ever a time when you were more in love with Jesus than you are right now? If so, what changed? Who pulled away from whom? The Bible tells us that God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. But what happens is we forget our first love. We pull away. God's Word admonishes us time and again not to forget Him. Not to pull away from Him. But to cleave to Him instead. But sometimes we get caught up in doing those things that we do in life and we slowly drift away. And it's a slippery slope. That was the problem that Jesus pointed out to the Ephesians in Revelation chapter 2 when Jesus wrote that letter to the Ephesians. He said, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. You've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. He says in verse 3 of Revelation 2, You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. And once we start down that slippery slope, it's hard to turn around. The longer we stay on it, the more difficult it is. We need to remember our first love. But the second thing I think we need to do, we need to realize our family follows our lead. We need to realize our family follows our lead. When it comes to spiritual matters, your family follows your lead. Look at verses six, 5 and 6 there. He says, what fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They didn't ask where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the wilderness, through that dry desert land. He goes on to say in verse 7, 
to remind them, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. Our family follows our lead. Man, this is especially important for us. Your family follows your lead. We need to realize that. We're the spiritual leaders of our household as men. That's the way God designed it. Listen to these numbers. This is from the Baptist Press and Promise Keepers. They coordinated together on a study. When a father goes to church, two-thirds to three-quarters of the children attend church as adults. Two-thirds to three-quarters if the father goes to church, regardless of what the mother does. If the mother goes, but the father doesn't go, one out of 50, one out of 50 when the father doesn't go to church. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6 says, These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Your family follows your lead. When you pull away from God and start allowing other things to take priority, it's a slippery slope. And not only do you suffer the consequences, your children and grandchildren do too. God says so there. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, Therefore I bring charges against you again, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Now he's not saying there that the children are suffering for the sins of the parents. They're not paying for their parents' sins. But what he's saying is they're going to follow your lead. You remember we read that, that scripture from Genesis 31 where Rachel, it says she took her father's idols. When she took her father's idols, they became her idols. And that's the way it is. Our families follow our lead. We need to be making sure that we're leading our family spiritually. Parents, grandparents, how are you leading your family? Because they're going to follow your lead. Wherever you go, they're going to follow. Are you showing them that the relationship you have with the Lord is the most important thing in your life? Are you showing them something else? Do they see something in your life that's of greater priority than your relationship with God? You may not think they can see it, but they can see it. They will see it, and they will follow your lead. And not only that, that, that earthly family, but there's another problem there was going on in Israel that's going on today. Look at verse 8. It says, The priest did not ask, Where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. You see, those that are, were supposed to be leading the worship of God, he says, they did not know me. They did not follow me. Therefore, they led everyone astray. 1 John 4 and verse 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We can turn on the TV any given Sunday and see false teachers. It's alive and well even today. 
We look around churches all over the country and they've brought in smoke and mirrors and lights and loud music. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But when those two things take precedence over the worship of God, that's where the problem comes in. When those things have more importance than the worship of God, that's where the problem comes in. And these verses hit me right in between the eyes this week. When I looked at my own life and thought about how I'm leading my family spiritually and how I'm leading you as your pastor, the spiritual family, how am I leading you as a pastor? Because our family is going to lead or follow our lead. We need to remember our first love. We need to realize our families follow our lead. But the third thing I think we need to see in this passage, we need to recognize our sin and repent of our sins. Starting in verse 10 there, God lists out some of the sins. He says, cross over the coast of Kittim and look, send to Cater and observe closely. See if there's ever been anything like this. He says, look around the neighboring countries. All these pagan countries they don't switch gods. Has anything ever happened like this? But you people, my people have forgotten me. And he goes on, he says, he says basically to the heavens there, verse 12, he says, be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror. He's saying to the heavenly host, look what's going on down there. Can y'all believe this? Are you seeing this? That's what he's saying there. Look at verse 13. He points out their sins. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Jesus talked about himself being the living water. In John 4, in verse 14, but if anyone who drinks the water I give him, he will never be thirsty. In fact, the water I give him will become a spring of water in him. So they forgot their God. They forsook, they forsook the God that they knew for idols. The second sin he brings out to them and points, brings to their attention, they dug for themselves cisterns that won't hold water. Now during this time, water was scarce. This area of the world, water scarce. They have to dig cisterns to catch rainwater. It's vital to have that water available to live on. So they would haul them out in the ground catch that rainwater, but if the system was cracked, it would, it would leak out. God's comparing the adultery that they had to a cracked sister. It leads to disappointment. It never satisfies. In the same way, we, when we turn away from the Lord to other things and try to do things on our own, seek to fill that void in our hearts that only Jesus can satisfy, we end up disappointed. Because there's nothing that can truly satisfy our heart and soul like Jesus. God wants us to recognize our sins. He wants us to repent of our sins. In Revelation 2, we read from earlier, after he said, you've forgotten your first love. This is what he writes to them, calling on them to recognize their sin and repent. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 5 of Revelation 2. He says, consider how far you've fallen. Consider how far you've fallen, he says. Repent and do the things you did at first. Zechariah 1 and verse 3, God says, Return to me and I will return to you. It's a slippery slope. 
we need to come back to Him. We've not talked about anything new this morning, just some basic lessons from God's Word that Jeremiah the prophet gave to his people that they apply to us today, 2,000 years after Christ. So maybe this morning you realize that you strayed from God. Maybe you've forgotten your first love. God's calling you back to Him this morning. Maybe there's some things that you need to change in your life because you realize you're leading your family in the wrong direction. You're not leading them to Jesus. You're leading them away by your words, your actions, your deeds, your lack of devotion to Him. He's calling you to come back to Him today. Turn your family around. Turn yourself around. Get off that slippery slope. Maybe you've been trying to fill the void that's in your heart with other things that only Jesus can satisfy. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. John 6, Jesus said of Himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in Me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the bread of life. You come to Him by faith this morning. And if you do, you'll live forever with Him. Just reach out to Jesus because He's reaching out for you. He always has and He always will. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this message from Your Word, Lord. Help us to apply it to our hearts and lives this week. Help us to recognize and repent of our sin. Help us to realize that the choices we make not only affect us, but they lead our family as well. And Father, they follow our lead. Help us to make sure we're leading them to you, not away. And Lord, help us to return to our first love. Just like a young bride pines for her husband, Lord, help us to pine for you, clamor to be near you. Forgive us where we failed to do that in the past, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.